0: Hi there and welcome
1: back to the ESPN
0: Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly with you here today. Back on Zoom. Jake, not feeling too well and it seems like COVID has finally caught up to you.
1: It has, unfortunately. First time for everything and yeah, not feeling great. So back at home, but
0: soldiering on and trying to... Trying to get through um, another episode. Bit of time in front of the TV, I'm sure, over the weekend to to watch a, a few games of footy.
1: Yeah, when I wasn't sleeping, I was I was um, watching the footy and, yeah, some good games, some some average games, some average performances from some teams that we expect more from. But, yeah, overall, another good round. And, and it's amazing how quickly you get to that final five,
0: six weeks of the season. So just looking ahead to finals now. Mm, absolutely. Uh, big episode ahead. We're going to look at North. Our Richmond have beaten the stats twice in a row, but it's obviously not a good thing, uh, as well as the Bombers' resurgence and Kilda's shortcomings, a fair bit more. Before we get into it, though, something, gents, we noticed from round 18. Christian, anything take your fancy this week?
2: Uh, well, I think a few people have probably noticed the main one is Rory Laird uh, against Collingwood on Saturday, uh, reached the 20 tackles in a game, Mark, so world record tackles. Um, I think we had three players reach 19 previously, but uh, first player to hit 20, but it was the next day that I was probably uh, another impressive tackler, Jai Cully, uh, West Coast debutant, mid-season draftee, pick one. Um, finished with 11 tackles, which is actually the second most tackles on debut of any player. Um, and the only player above him is Jai Newcomb, who was also a mid-season draftee named Jai with a um, bit of a fancy haircut and sort of came in late in the season and tackled. So, yeah, just, um, just one to watch. Jai Cully seems to be, um, obviously, you know, a,
0: and we've lost Christian there for a second. Well, that's always good. Um, Jake, Jai and Jai. That's a bit interesting. I think the uh, the matrix is kind of glitching out on us a bit.
1: It is, but um, yeah, it was a pretty impressive performance from um, from Rory Laird with with the twenty tackles. Um, it was funny watching that game. They the commentary was all around Sam Berry early and, and wondering if he'd be able to break that nineteen um, mark. And then all of a sudden, Rory Laird seemed to come from nowhere, and before you knew it, he was he was up to twenty. So yeah, pretty incredible effort. Um, the thing I noticed was a lot of a lot of young players getting getting lots of credit for playing well over the weekend. Obviously, Nick daykos is probably top of that list. But the player that I've really been impressed with um, this season, and and certainly the last couple of weeks, is Chad Warner. Mm. I mean, he he seems like he's gone from pretty good young player to almost the best player on the team overnight. He, he's, he's been in their best two or three players just about every game over the last eight weeks. He is a phenomenal player. He's kicking goals. Yep. They put a statistic up where, where it was something along the lines of for midfielders score involvements, goals, goal assists. And he, the only two players that, that rank where he ranks in for those three categories um bon- Marcus Bonapalli and Christian Petrarca, and then himself. So mm. it's phenomenal how 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 much of an impact he's having on games um forward to center and he's still getting his 30 touches in the midfield. he had 35 touches, kicked a goal, 15 uh contested possessions on the weekend and really led that incredible comeback against Frio over in the West. Uh, he he's just I, I probably didn't expect him to be this good,
0: certainly not this soon. I think the the thing that I find interesting is just how Sydney can signify these players so quickly. I think we said in our stocks column this week, it was just such a swan's performance, like a blood's performance. And he really yeah. did. He was he was at the contest, but he was also streaking away from it. He was doing second efforts. He was getting yeah. to the next contest. He was doing all this stuff that you really expect from someone like a Luke Parker, who's a veteran of that that squad and, and has been doing that for years and years. And for him to kind of do that, uh, and then only got the five coaches' votes, Jake. Did you notice this? Because uh, someone put the wrong Warner, Someone's put the, the wrong one exactly.
1: Someone goes to show that they don't even know what his name is <laughs> and Corey. didn't play. Yeah, he um, he was robbed of five coaches' votes. Hopefully, they sort that out because it was clearly that he clearly deserved the 10. And yeah, it was just a phenomenal performance. And he's gonna poll a fair few Brownlow votes, I would have thought. And he's a player that um yes he racks up a lot of ball and and we've spoken about it before certain players get criticized for maybe the lack of impact they have per possession but he is certainly someone that really is very damaging every time he gets the ball you you notice him 35 touches and a goal for Warner on the weekend amazing
0: effort and he's certainly a player to keep an eye on you talk about players and Brownlow votes and either needing a year to get into the umpire's sort of line of sight or having some sort of feature that makes them stand out um these sort of two minute noodle blonde end-sync haircut from the 2000s is that going to be enough Jake to get a few votes over the line oh uh, it, it's it's call me crazy but
1: it you do you need think back to Brownlow medal winners they all most of them the vast majority of them have some sort of distinct feature that makes them stand out it just mm. that's just the way it is yeah I look he's probably a year away from getting the votes like he's not going to win it this year but I think his second half of the year has been incredible. He's been really, really good. Um, And look, throughout the whole season, he's been really solid as well. But like I said, uh, he he just seems to have gone from a point where he was a good player for Sydney to now, is he their best player?
0: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. One to watch over the next few weeks, especially as the Swans start cruising towards September action. Something I noticed... uh, Luke Bruce, one of the most consistent underrated forwards we've seen for, for many years. And, Jake, you you and I chat about him quite often most years when it comes up, you know, that, that, that he has a big game again and people go, oh, yeah, remember Luke Bruce, he, he can kick bags and all this sort of stuff. Another six goals on the weekend. The thing I noticed, though, is that he hasn't played a game this season in which he's been held goalless. He's kicked a goal in every single game he's played. He's now up to, I think, 475 goals. So he's in within reach of the 500 club, which honestly is just a phenomenal effort from a guy that, you probably don't have as your first picked in your all Australian 40 or your All Australian squad year after year.
1: Mm, I think he only has one All Australian selection. You're right, yeah. Um and you know, when when his career is done, he'll obviously have five hundred plus goals. Um is he Is he the best? I I think maybe Eddie Betts probably has him pipped. But aside from Eddie Betts, is he the best second best small forward of the last decade?
0: Yeah. Who else would be in that conversation? You probably look at someone like Charlie Cameron hasn't been around for long enough yet to sort of have that discussion. Um, I think it's clearly Luke
1: Bruce. Yeah, and and I I think think by by the end of it, I mean he may have an argument to say, "Well, hang on a
0: minute, I'm I'm the best small forward of the modern era." Well, well, yeah, you, you could argue that. Given also that his his team achievements, and I know that that we kind of you got to weigh up the the difference between team success and individual success, but he's clearly had both as well. Mm. Um, so maybe he is in that discussion. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, look, let's get into the main agenda of the podcast for the second straight week. The Tigers somehow snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, gents, uh, and it truly seems like they lost those games instead of Gold Coast or North Melbourne actually winning them. Um, which kind of just begs us to ask the question, what's going on at Tigerland? Jake, it reminds me of a, a period in 2012 when the Tigers lost three games in a row. One to Gold Coast after the siren. That was, of course, the infamous Carmichael Hunt game. They lost the next week to North Melbourne at the MCG by, I think, two or three points. And I think it was third... also four points because it mirrored it mirrored um, what happened this time. So You, you might yeah. well be right. And then the Blues the week after. So three in a row by under a kick. And, and I think it was Brock McLean kicked the winner on a on a wet night at the G, and the Tigers were were, were done with about 30 seconds to go. Truly snatching defeat from the tra- to the draws of victory. Um, and they weren't without their mistakes in the last sort of five minutes either, Richmond. They were under a lot of pressure, obviously. Um, Todd Goldstein kicks a goal, then Cam Zerha kicks a goal, uh, and they needed to sort of get the ball. But there was this, a period of of two, two or three minutes where um Nankervis looks into the middle as the skipper and, and kicks to center half back and it's a turnover uh there was a kick out from defense to a two-on-one when richmond was actually up at the time then there was the jake arts mistake as he took the mark and ran into goal it it just it and it all added up to obviously a loss but this statistical anomaly christian where they've seen the Tigers we've seen the tigers lose two games in a row despite posting 30 scoring shots which is Bizarre, and we actually talked about this stat about seven or eight weeks ago on the podcast. Where if you have thirty scoring shots, I think at the time the win rate was ninety three percent, and they've somehow done themselves twice in a row.
2: Yeah, two weeks in a row, so back to back weeks. They've finished with yeah thirty plus scores, um, and lost. And yeah, this year alone, there's been sixty times where a team's uh, had thirty shots at goal, fifty eight wins and two losses. And yeah, those two losses have been the last two weeks for Richmond. So. Um, yeah, they must be just kicking themselves for, for, you know, bad misses and things like that. But again, there there is signs throughout the game that their defence is actually, the last four or five weeks has probably been a bit leaky. So, yes, all the sort of uh, focus and that is going to go on their accuracy and how much that hurt them. But there is still some sort of uh, leakage in defence that's starting to happen in the last couple of weeks that sort of, you know, um, needs to be sort of sorted out before finals.
0: Jake, you often look at, at teams when they are inaccurate early and you think, well, it might even out. They might get to sort of this 12-12, 14-14 12, sort of spot uh, and, and be able to salvage the game. But it was just sort of the perfect storm where North were quite accurate for a lot of that game. And then the Tigers were inaccurate. You know, Jack Reebok kicks two goals, six. kick two in a row or two in a minute, uh, I think just at, at the start of the fourth oh, sorry, the end of the third term to make them really sort of back within striking distance of the Roos and, and you thought, hang on, this is going to happen to North Melbourne again. But... It just goes to show that even against maybe the poorer teams, you just cannot continue to kick in accurately because if the other team has a day out of the box, they're gonna do you. Yeah, of course. And um they
1: they were and they were done. They were um that's what cost them in the end, of course. But there are a couple of things that I that I was watching throughout the game and just wondered why, uh, not to question Damien Hardwick's coaching, but the, the the one for me is Liam Baker. He he was a he's been a player this year a couple of times. It's really flipped the script throughout games for Richmond, got them back into games, um, and really sparked them when they've needed a spark, especially when Dusty hasn't been playing um and and Shea Bolton's been struggling or or relatively well held. And that was what was happening um against North. But Baker just continues to play as this high uh, forward pocket that really had no impact on the game. Didn't go, have a run through the midfield at all. Didn't get involved. Ended the game, I think, with eight eight touches. Yeah, so really-
2: nine disposals and, yeah, the big one I was looking at is one ground ball get. He's one of your sort of best sort of mm. Loose ball, ground ball, sort of players. They got beaten in that stat, ninety nine to seventy seven. So negative twenty two is just an absolute smashing in that. And one of your best players has only finished with one for the game.
1: Yeah, just thought he could have gone. Could have gone um, on the ball certainly in that last quarter when they when the game was on the line. But go back to the first half. Forget the, forget the scoring. Forget the inaccuracy. Go back to the first half. The game. Richmond shouldn't have even been in this game. North smashed them in the first half. Like Like it was. It was. Pretty embarrassing for Richmond for a team that a fortnight ago we were saying, you know, they'll make the eight and they, no one will want to face them, especially when some of their, some of their A graders come back to go and lose in the fashion they did to Gold Coast, where they had such a commanding lead and coughed it up was one thing, but then to be belted in the first half, come back and then still fall short again, again, um, to, to North. I have to I have to reassess what, what I think of them now and they probably don't deserve to play finals. Will they get there? It's a coin
0: flip now. Mm. It's a well, real 50 fifty. That bottom part of the eight sort of tightened up again. Uh, we looked at we looked at the eight as a whole being quite tight a couple of weeks ago, but there's probably now a bit of a, a rift between those sort of those top teams uh, and, and the ones in the bottom half of the eight and just outside sort of looking in. Uh, the, the interesting thing for me, and we've talked about X scores a few times, Christian, the expected score of a, of a game, depending on, you know, where you're kicking from at goal um and the pressure you're under what the expected score is. And and Richmond really should have spanked north.
2: Yeah, hundred. the well, the score should have been 106 to 75 Richmond's way. So 31 point victory um, for Richmond is, you know, what the expected score said. But yeah, Richmond finished with 88 instead of their 106. Um, And North Melbourne, the same thing. They finished with 92 instead of their 75. So, yeah, sort of spoke about how you can't control the opposition's accuracy. You can only control your own. But, yeah, just one of those disastrous games for Richmond. But, again, just it's always funny when, it, you know, and we talk about upsets and bottom teams winning. It was also the other interesting state I noticed that Richmond had nine more scoring shots uh, than North Melbourne. So, again, looking last 10 years, uh, 98% winning record when you have nine or more scoring shots against your opposition. There's been two games this year where a team's had at least nine or 10 more scoring shots and lost. Uh, that was Richmond this week against North Melbourne and Collingwood round four against West Coast, which is also another, you know, when West Coast won, while well, they were on the bottom of the ladder. So you can just see when these upsets do happen, um, you know, a lot of people want to sort of run with it and say, oh, a North back or a Richmond finish, it's like, well, no, I think this, like, this game right here was one out of the box. You play it 99 more times and Richmond probably win 98 of them. Um, we said that said, last yeah. week
1: about the, the game against the Suns. Yeah. And as those I said, those eight we... points, those eight points.
2: They hurt you. Yeah.
1: That, they hurt you massively.
2: Yeah. But um, as I said, the thing, if I'm a North Melbourne supporter, I'm taking away that. Yeah. They went in and had a crack, won a lot of contested ball, won a lot of the ground ball. And as I said, you know, they, they certainly looked up and about, but as I said, for nine or 10 scoring shots, more to the opposition, that's usually when you know, probably haven't been good enough today. We've probably conceded too many scores, but yeah, luckily that North still finished with the four points.
0: Uh, the famous dead cat bounce of of getting a new coach in, and the week after winning, Christian, the the fairy tale continues for that kind of uh, that kind of setup.
2: Yeah, again, so we've seen we're up to four of the past six, or sorry, five of the past seven now. Um, have won the week after. Have won the week after. So um, once they've come in, so um, yeah, again, just unexplain- can't explain what the. What the you know the psychological changes that happens to a playing group when things like that happen, but clearly if you're losing a coach mid-season, as we've said previously, you're you're not winning a lot of games. So you, um, to have a you know a five and five out of seven record for a new coach coming in shows that somehow they do get it that improvement.
0: Jake, it must do wonders for not only the fans who would have enjoyed their first win for for a long time, but also for players like Flynn Perez' first win in fifteen attempts. Um, yeah, I think I saw on 360 last night. Robbo revealed a stat that it was Ben Mackay's first win in Victoria in front of a crowd, which is just kind of crazy to think that you know he's played forty odd games and and has only just sort of notched that achievement. Mm. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, I think hearing Jai Simpkin talk after the game and Cam Zerha and some of these guys talk about how, what it means, I think you can kind of, as a fan, watch every week and. You know, see them lose and not really think much of it. But you know, these guys are going to—they're tra- training every day. They're going playing game, you know, traveling all over the country to play games. And when you're losing week in week out, it must be pretty deflating. So I think when you when you when you barrack for a team that wins every week or just about every week, you can kind of get used to it. But at the same time, you probably can get used to the losing too. So when you can snap it and have a win, it should be celebrated, even if it's only moving from. 18th to 17th or even 18th and staying
0: 18th. Um, now, all of a sudden, it's a bit of a it's a hot race for for the uh, wooden spoon. Mm, certainly is. Another team that, that was down the bottom has won three in a row. The Bombers, a bit of a late surge up the ladder. Uh, a bit of deja vu in that sense as well. And and uh, Rowan Connolly, who writes columns and sometimes features on this podcast, said uh, in, a, in a segment that he does on video for us, ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL, that uh, Essendon fans should actually probably be a bit pissed off instead of happy with the results of the last three weeks because, once again, they've just squandered an opportunity earlier in the year to be a competitive outfit. They're going to come home with a wet sail. They're going to miss finals again, and it's just the same old story. Slow starts and a late charge. Christian, do you agree with what Rowan's saying as a passionate Bombers man?
2: Uh, I'll let Rowan uh, stick to the sort of um, emotive stuff with Essendon, but I don't know if it's a waste of chance. Again, it was a pretty red-hot competitive start to the season. I know 60, you know, no one expected them to be third last and things like that. But, I mean, yeah, you can't can't they just enjoy what they're seeing in, in recent weeks? I mean, in the last five weeks, rounds 14 to 18, they're second on the form ladder. Only Geelong's better. They're four and one. Uh, the Bombers, you know, first for disposal differential, contested possession differential, um, first for points four, um, third for timing forward half. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of ticks and a lot of sort of good footy being played by Essendon. So, Again, I see where Roland's coming from, but you can only look at the here and now, and the signs are good, um, or offensively anyway. The signs are looking good for Essendon in terms of they've got a, you know, a, an offensive style that they can build on, and hopefully can you know sustain it for a longer period of time next season and get themselves into finals. So yeah, as I said, a lot of ticks in terms of the way they're dominating possession of the ball and territory, but still a few. You, you know, if you sort of talk about are they. Another, you know, a, a genuine contender for 2023 based on this form, there's still a little issues around defence. So, again, you look at scoring from clearances, uh, they're the best team at scoring from their clearances, but they're also the third easiest team to score against. So a bit leaky there and also same as intercepts. So they're second best at scoring from intercepts, so really exciting once they turn the ball over, they're able to score. But they the f- uh being the fifth easiest to also score against from turnovers in the last four or five weeks. So, yes, winning a lot of games um, based on, you know, uh, quick, exciting footy, but probably, yeah, a few holes defensively that they'll have to sort of work on over the offseason if they really want to become a genuine top eight team next year.
0: Mm, very much a, well, the season might be over. So let's sort of show what we can do offensively and then maybe build the parts defensively over the offseason and throughout. Does a fit Michael Hurley change your thinking on on defensively what they can achieve next year?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, he's been out of the game for so long. They've got a couple of other young guys. They've got Zach Reed, who's actually coming through um, the VFL. Zerk Thatcher, I mean, has only played probably as a regular the last five or six weeks. Looks okay. So, yeah. but one of their big uh, improvers out of defense, Mason Redmond. I mean, in the last four or five weeks, he's top 10 in the competition for, um, you know, marks and uncontested possessions. They're really running the ball um, out through him. So, I think he's ninth in the score uh, in the competition for score launches, which is mainly a you know a ruckman type stat. So he's he's launching a lot of scores as a running defender, mm. um, and just yeah, getting a lot of the ball. So he's looking really good. Jai Caldwell, sort of what we were crying out for at the start of the year, of that defensive type midfielder. Last two weeks he's played on Lockie Neal and took Miller and done a pretty good job, and sort of that's allowed merit. Um, you know, I know how Parrish hasn't been playing as often, but you know, it's allowed the other midfielders to sort of run free and sort of get that. Um, easy ball like they were getting at the start of the year. So, yeah, they've just added a, a few little um, pieces here and there. But again, I, you know, Hurley's probably one of those forgotten names of just how good he was, All-Australian defender. Um, is always going to make your team better.
0: Jake, you said um, pre-pod that you uh, actually pre-season had the Bombers and the Pies kind of switched on the ladder from where they are currently. Uh, is this a side that you can kind of see the the makings of a finals winning uh, finals winning team in twenty twenty three to sort of get that monkey off the, off the club's back?
1: Well, I kind of thought it would be this year. Um, <laughs> you know, for a lot of the reasons that that you guys have already stated, um, and as you said, I did. I had I had Essendon maybe not fifth, but I t- certainly had them f- vying for finals again, and Collingwood were at least eight spots lower on the ladder. Um, so surprised with that. But yeah, I, I, the, what I'm seeing from Essendon now is what I expected to see at the start of the year. And I can understand why Rowan and some other Essendon supporters are looking at it and saying, well, personnel's not really that much different. Um, and you can make the case that we're missing our best player in Darcy Parish and we're playing the best football we've played all year now. So it's hard to get your head around it and it's hard to sort of understand why. But yeah, if, if they continue playing this way, then yeah, that we've seen them beat good teams. You know, we, we're not seeing them just, just, just bully average teams. They've beaten three good teams in a row now. And certainly teams that had things that had something to play for. And I think if they can carry this into next year um, and ha- and keep the personnel in the park.
0: Absolutely. I think they're definitely going to be a chance to make finals again. Yep. Pissed off, optimistic, or happy with how things are going, Bones fans, let us know on Twitter at footy tips. Uh, about how you think Essendon is going heading into 2023. Hey,
1: guys. We know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss
0: all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks and even further afield,
2: available wherever you get your pods.
0: Uh, there were some big individual games this weekend. We, we did talk about, off the top, Rory Led and his 20 tackles uh, breaking the record obviously Nick Dacos had 40 touches and three goals as a 19 year old pretty impressive kind of stuff Cam Zerha kicked six including the winner for North um, Cozy Pickett and the Alice kicked six and got nominated for goal of the year like Bruce kicked six a few really great performances in terms of an individual standpoint firstly Christian I guess Nick Dakos, 29.6 player ratings points where does that rank for a player of his age and experience
2: um so again yeah rating points 2010 uh, onwards it's the second highest score in a game by a teenager yeah. um and yeah the guy above him is sort of you know a lot of these stats i know jason tutt had an awesome debut he was 20 but alex Fasolo, uh, another oh. collingwood player who was 19 who finished with 30.8 uh, rating points in 2011 um in his first season so he's he holds the record for highest, well, most raining points by a teenager in a game. But yeah, Nick Dacos, 29.6, um, is the second most um, ever recorded for a teenager. It's the, I mean, it was the equal 14th best game this year. So it was sort of a top 15 game. Uh, but yeah, just one of, the, one of the better games played by a player in their debut season.
0: Fair enough. Um, Jake, what was the best performance of the weekend from an individual standpoint, from your perspective?
1: I uh, well, already gave Chad Warner a bit of praise earlier in the show, um, and and obviously led spoken about. It. I think Dacos was <laughs> incredible. Um, the wh- I think I might have mentioned this on the on the podcast before, but I've ne- I've not seen a player with that same Scott Pendlebury poise um, until I watched Dacos play this year. And and maybe it's the the fact he's wearing a Collingwood jumper and he's running around next to him, but he just has so much of the Pendlebury traits already. Um, to kick three goals and have 40 is just that's that's an incredible game for anyone in the league. And I'm not sure how many players I'm sure Christian could find it, but I would say there's probably only seven or eight play, players currently playing that have Slightly ever done more. that.
2: Yeah, uh, oh, currently playing. You geez, yeah. throwing that in. Uh, so, you might be right. So, you currently, have, do you have currently, the currently mate? I do have the all time, so maybe
1: again. less, maybe fewer actually.
2: 99 2000, so 99 onwards against so the champion data. Uh, times, but again, forty disposals is pretty rare. Back before then, so not sure how often it happened before ninety nine. I think I think Christian Tracker. Petrarca... Nah, he's never reached forty and three. So some some unusual names in recent years. So again, first player we had recording it, Nathan Buckley, back in ninety nine, yeah. had forty Makes three sense. and three. Gary Robert, Robert Harvey, Roschudo, Gary Ablett comes in there in the mid two thousands. But yeah, of modern of uh, existing players, Lockie Neal did it with forty two and three. In 2015, Dan Hannabury did it with 40 and three for the Swans in a game. Josh Kennedy for the Swans as well, 45 and three in a game. Seb Ross for St. Kilda Seb in Ross. 2018 had 40 and three. Lucky Whitfield in round nine, 2019, was the last player to do it before Nick Dacos did it this weekend. So he and was the, he's definitely the youngest of that
0: group, isn't
2: he? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: Yeah. Not this bad, is, a, is it? This is a
1: strange, a good list, but um, yeah. Uh, Seb Ross, Lockie Whitfield, not not play not um, players. Polish. You probably would come to mind straight away. But um, so what's that? Five or six current players that have done it. Um, and Dan yeah. Hanbury doesn't really feel like a current player. He hasn't played for about five seasons. So <laughs> yeah, it's what what more do you really need to say? And it's not just the forty. It's every time he gets the ball, he uses it so well. And you know, in Scott Penelbury's three hundred fiftieth game. Who was the player that really almost like we've got to win for this guy? He, the guy that had played the fewest games, was the one that's like we need a win for this guy, and he mm-hmm. lifted throughout that game. I thought he was just phenomenal. Um, it's incredible that you can even still bet on the actual rising star, there's still a market for it. I think after is isn't it? Surely, I would have just said, Oh, it's over now, like this guy's gonna and you know people are starting to back him for the Brownlow
0: medal I mean
1: he's gonna be he can start polling some votes too don't worry about Chad Warner Nick Dacos will be polling as well
0: well he might add the Corey Warner issue and he might get um, some votes taken off him by his brother yeah he very much might uh Sam Draper's goal how many times have you watched it, Jake because I've watched it probably 30. Um, just, just once I watched it live oh, and then I saw, I'll sort
1: of show the replay. I've seen it twice. That was a good goal. Um, <laughs> I was probably a little bit disappointed cause I was, um, I was hoping for a better performance from Gold Coast. Let's say I was, I was That's very fair. bullish last week, um, of, of seeing Gold Coast playing in September, um, and hopeful as well. And yeah, just really disappointing performance. Um, maybe, you know, for, for all the the highs of the the Anderson goal yes you have eight days to get get ready for the next game but sometimes it's just hard to get back up for it and to be honest when Essen kicked the first four goals I was stunned that Gold Coast responded with the next four mm. um and then it was just the game was gone from there Essendon just kicked away they just looked a, a class above throughout so much space so much time like Christian said uh with uh, Mason Redmond, what a performance he played! But yeah, the goal—I only watched it once or twice. Good goal.
0: Don't think it's goal of the year. Well, there's a strong lineup this week because Jeremy Cameron from the pocket at the MCG on Saturday night. Cosy Pickett, take your pick of any one of his, but his, his one from the boundary as well. Uh, he did the the Steph Curry shrug celebration too. Thought that was pretty neat. Um, which one's going to be the winner of the goal of the week? Do we do we have a thought?
2: I'm I'm voting Draper uh, I again. Have two. Uh, I don't know if it was the. <laughs> It wasn't the most skillful as in you're only voting because Draper kicked it. If Merrick kicked it. exactly. But it's all part of it. It was that play out of the centre to win the hit out for Mac Mac Welfie to give the ball back to a ruckman running past as well. That takes balls from (laughs) Mac Welfie just to give it back to Draper, and he's kicked it on the outside of the boot after breaking a tackle. It was it was the complete package for me. It was just I was giggling during the goal. Um, In terms of the most enjoyable goal of the year slash round, Sam Draper hands down.
0: 100 percent there's something about the, the flowing locks the fend off the call back for the ball as he's stumbling inside 50 with his hand out the fact that he gets the ball back and then just the limbs everywhere as he somehow gets his boot to it and it floats on through the some of the, the crowd shots of fans in the background during that celebration are just they're laughing they're not even cheering it's just it's just pure joy and laughter and i thought that's the kind of stuff that we love to see in footy and i think that's my goal of the week is it the goal of the, the year leader so far?
2: I called it goal of the year just based oh. on the, yeah, the entertainment factor of the whole play.
0: Mm, I'd go be very and...
1: disappointed if that was the goal of the year. That would remind me of when Matthew Lloyd won goal of the year for that little oh, back, heel back heel two no, meters out. It was terrible. like just because it's a bit different, it's not goal of the year. No. you need Every goal player, of the year. Just, it, you, you, I understand it's entertaining. I understand it looked cool. I understand it was unexpected. But that doesn't make it goal of the year. There's been, a, there's
0: been 200 goals with more, with more skill kick this year. I think that we found our our, um, our tagline for the, the podcast this week. 200 goals better than Sam Draper's. Uh, is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? The segment where we'll say some statements, you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, Will Hayes was stiff to cop two weeks for his tackle on Sam Menegola.
1: Uh, yeah, it was, absolutely. And I feel like this is the third or fourth time on this podcast that we've been talking about something like this where a tackle goes wrong. Uh, not even goes wrong, but the but the play, a player does get concussed and then the, the tackler is penalized for it. It wasn't a dangerous tackle in any way. Shouldn't have been a suspension. Shouldn't have even been a fine. Sam Managola was really unlucky, and I feel sorry for him that he's going to miss a game, and hopefully it is only just one game and he can come back. Um, but for Hayes to be suspended for that and to get
0: a two week suspension straight off the bat is just laughable, in my opinion. We talk about um punishing the act and not the outcome because sometimes you can raise an elbow, it might only graze someone, or it might be, you know, whatever it is, but, but they they get off because they miss. Um and we, we talk about punishing the act instead of the outcome. It goes both ways in that the act was not a dangerous tackle. And and you're right, I think that the key word that you use, Jake, was unlucky, and Menegola Menagola was
2: unlucky. Mm. Um I'm just who not was, sure who was it, it, it
1: earlier in the year that punched Trent Cochin. Who was it? Was it Tom Hawkins?
2: Who yeah, punched yeah, Trent Cochin. I know Franklin was yeah, buddy, Franklin. yeah, but that's Franklin. right.
1: Buddy punched, and what did buddy get? One week or a fine? <laughs> like yeah. come on, that's just ridiculous. Buddy punched Trent Cochin in the face. Yes, you can say oh he grazed him or whatever, but it's like he Don't swung. That that just goes to show that the whole system is screwed.
0: What was wrong with Hayes's tackling? Nothing. Yeah. So this is what I'm. This is what I'm trying to say. It's like you can you can do all things right, but the way that Menegola might have been balanced, or his his foot might have slipped, it was a bit slippery underfoot. Might have accentuated how quickly he felt. I don't think you can blame Hayes for that. You, of course you can't. And and I think it would have been a really interesting tribunal case had Carlton chosen to challenge this, um, but obviously they haven't. You know. Hayes, you know, probably on the outer at Carlton. He's one of the players that you come in or, or, or bring him in or, or send him out depending on who's coming in and, or going out with injury or whatever. So it makes sense that they've just sort of copped it on the chin. But if that's a player who, who might be, for instance, in Brownlow contention, I don't think he's getting, firstly, I don't think he's getting two weeks. And secondly, I think Carlton's challenging that and probably getting off given some of the precedents we've seen this season.
1: Yeah, whether you're in contention for a Brownlow or if it's, you know, you're going to miss a final for something like that. Yeah, I, I just think it's I think it's embarrassing from the AFL, and we we talk about this all the time that it's just too much of an emphasis on the outcome as opposed to the action. There's nothing wrong with the action. There should be it. It should just be ticked off and move on to the next one.
0: Fair enough, uh, Christian. I'll throw this one to you. The Swans uh, have a top four spot to lose.
2: Oh, don't know if it's to lose, but yeah, they're um, sort of looking quite primed to take it. I mean, they they run home, Adelaide, GWS, the next two at home, uh, play North away, Collingwood and St Kilda um, across the final uh, three rounds. So you can almost tip them to go, you know, probably an easy two, two or three wins definite in there. And then, you know, Collingwood and St Kilda um, later in the season, you know, they could be playing St Kilda who will be probably missing finals at this stage now to get into the top four. So um, yeah, probably gone from, Four or five weeks ago being my team that was most vulnerable in the eights to a team that genuinely has a chance to go top four.
0: Funny how these things work out, isn't it? But you look at the Swans, they actually have a very strong percentage for a team that's 11 and 6 at the moment. So their percentage of 120.8 is better by far than any team below them. So I think Richmond's the second best percentage of any side uh, at 115, so they're 5.8 percent ahead of the Tigers, and then they're a better percentage than both Collingwood and Fremantle, who are above them. And Fremantle's in fourth spot at the moment. So if they can notch the wins, Jake, they're definitely a chance to finish in that that top four and secure the double chance. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: they're, and they're going to be a dangerous team too. So, uh, yeah, just looking at the ladder now, that 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 eighth spot is really going to be must watch
0: over the next over the next month or so. Mm, isn't it and you know what it could be a a side that is actually pretty good finishing eighth who could throw a spanner in the works to a fifth ranked side or uh, and 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 progress through to a semi and potentially even further Mm. Uh, but but it does feel that
1: the seven above are are locked now we would think
0: yeah i'm I'm not sold on the blues yet either (laughs) would you believe (laughs) We'll see. Probably we'll see need things... one more win. Probably need one more to be <laughs> we'll see safety. how things pan out for Carlton. Uh, Jake, Friday night's crowd, Richmond and Fremantle, but at Marvel Stadium, will be less than 20,000. I, I don't think it'll be less. I don't think so.
1: I know that the Richmond faithful don't like to travel to Docklands for games, but this feels season on the line here. Big game, 50-50 game, hard to pick, hard to pick. Probably leaning now. Probably was leaning Richmond earlier. Now without Dusty, without Lynch, probably going to to, to just towards the Freo side now. Mm. Um Especially Put the call that, out to the Tiger after Army. Their loss. They got to get. They got to get out. They got to get out and support the support their side. Otherwise, it'll be another loss. And you know, if they lose, you know, the Bulldogs, Saints, Port, Gold Coast, they're all they're all they're all either level points or, or one game behind. So. There's five teams vying for that final spot. Now um, they they can't afford another slip up. They've already had their two. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to ask me this last one? Have you got it on screen? Uh, I can. Um,
0: Brett Ratton. <laughs> Buy some time. <laughs> Brett Ratton. Was he re-signed too early? Yeah. It seems like he might have been. We always talk on this podcast about, I oh, want Jake, you're pretty strong on this, is giving head coaches three years uh, to sort of put their mark on their footy team. And, since Ratten took over, he took over sort of three-quarters of the way through um, when Alan Richardson was dumped uh, three years ago. So this is his third full season. Uh, in that time, they finished sixth and they made finals. They won a final, lost to Richmond in the semis in uh, in 2020. Then they fell back out of the eight last year, and that was pretty disappointing. They had a strong start to this season, but since the buy, have gone one and six, uh, and he's already been re-signed. I would have just said, you know, let's just see how the end of the third year goes, then we can renegotiate because things aren't looking good for the Saints. And we, we talk mm. about the log jam in that sort of, you know, between sort of 7 and 12 on the ladder. Uh, if the Saints miss, I would be not so happy with how Ratton has been able to coach and, and get the best out of his squad the last few weeks. I mean, the performance against, say, Carlton a couple of Friday nights ago, compared to what they threw up on Friday night against the Bulldogs, smashed around the ground in clearances. And this is a side that, you know, has some pretty decent names in that in that midfield who can get their hands dirty mm. uh they just look disinterested around the contest at times and, and really they it could have been a, a much bigger margin than what the dogs ended up winning by
1: the tackling was one of the um real disappointing things i think they finished with 41 tackles well laird and berry had 37 between them
0: <laughs> i think i had 11 at half time what the, the saints sorry
1: 11 or 14 yeah, yeah some, something really really it was just really poor and I think we've spoken you you're pretty big on this te- the the gap between a team's best and worst uh, yeah. St Kilda's got to be one of the the teams that features pretty high here some of the games they've played this year have been just pitiful but then they have quarters or halves where they just can pile on the scores and they're streaming out of the middle you just wonder why and and I always I wonder myself, I see I you see the shots of Brett Ratton in the box scratch, literally scratching his head. <laughs> and he must be wondering too, why why are we yeah. so inconsistent?
2: Yeah. Christian, do they make finals this season? Uh no, nah, I think that yeah, I think they're just gonna miss out.
1: Who is gonna get that eighth spot?
2: It's, a oh, call, it? it's always a tough call and I'm I always get sucked into the team that has it. Like I know, I know. You know, we're talking about Richmond and what's happened in the last two weeks. But it's it's theirs for them to lose, and um, they've got it at the moment. So well, I'll they're, losing, them to they're keep doing it. a good job. Of I losing know it. they are doing a good job of losing <laughs> it, but they haven't lost it yet. Uh, but yeah, we just said it before. Massive game Friday night, I think, and, and I love it when the, the big game's Friday night because it really sets up the rest. of it. If Richmond has a loss on Friday night, it really opens up a what if mm. for the rest of the weekend. There are four and things clubs like below
0: so. them just licking their lips, waiting yeah. for the Tigers to 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 balls it up really aren't they and it and the bulldogs
1: Friday. um the bulldogs felt like they were a game um sorry, they felt like they were to, a game and percentage behind uh going into last round well they got the game back and the percentage pretty much closed right up too so mm. it's now 115 richmond 112 bulldogs so there's there's not that much in it anymore especially with five games to go so mm. look it's it's
0: all to play for and would you be surprised if the bulldogs upset the demons this week at marvel uh no i wouldn't be this this is the nature of 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 a team of of the bulldogs in particular that we've Mm. seen this year is they and bevo is so funny because he can throw the magnets around and it might work for a week um we saw a few few changes against the saints and and max king was really well nullified um but i it's funny you just don't see it working two weeks in a row and i'm just not sure what to expect from a beverage led coached team at this time of year Mm uh let's wrap things up there guys uh, another big episode plenty that we've gotten through as well if you have any questions for us at any time of course like i said earlier at footy tips on twitter is where you'll find us um we're pretty good at responding we, we generally get back to people if they if they have any questions especially to christian hashtag ask champion data as well uh if you want to get some questions answered on the pod jake hope you feel better yeah apologies for the um
1: for the sort of
0: downbeat nature
1: of myself today i'm just feeling very rubbish but did, didn't want to miss another episode so um yeah trying to get through it and as always good to talk
0: some footy with you guys hmm. uh, i'm just happy i didn't have to do the commute into the office which christian you still had to do
2: <laughs> well i didn't have to get a taxi from here to you guys so one step, a bit of time. one step taken out of my day was good Yeah,
0: <laughs> very Thanks, good uh, <laughs> to everyone at home we'll speak to you in the next episode
2: Listen to all the
1: latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod, wherever you get your podcasts.